Welcome to the Privileged Man Podcast. This is your space to explore the less spoken aspects of being a man in today's world. I'm your host, Pete Hunt, inviting you on this journey of discovery and understanding. Today, we have a very special guest, Max Dickens, a man who has traversed the landscape of media and art, leaving a mark on each and every platform he graces, from print to stage, from radio waves to the small screen. But today, he's here with us in London to discuss something profoundly personal and universally impactful. He's the acclaimed author of Billy No Mate, How I Realize Men Have a Friendship Problem, a book that has made global impact and has been translated into numerous languages. This is not just a piece of literature, it's an exploration of male friendships, an issue often buried under layers of banter and societal expectations. His insightful and hilarious writing has been featured in prominent publications such as The Observer, Sunday Times, Daily Mail and GQ, highlighting his unique blend of candor and wit. A Sony Award nominee for his radio show on Absolute Radio, a playwright with a nationally toured, critically acclaimed play Man on the Moor, and a familiar face on BBC One's Michael McIntyre's big show, he's a man of many talents. But today we focus on the issue at the heart of his book, Billy Nomates, an issue that resonates with so many men, the often unspoken problem of forming and maintaining male friendships. So it's my great pleasure to introduce our esteemed guest today, the multi-talented and insightful Mr. Max Dickens. Well, Max, thank you for joining us on the Privileged Man podcast. Appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to it. Take us on a journey. You've written a book called Billy No Mates. How do you get there? Well... I didn't want to write a book called Billy No Mates. <laughs> it came out of a personal experience. So what happened was I was planning on proposing to my girlfriend, went as far as shopping for a ring with a couple of female uh, pals. We go to the pub afterwards and they say, right, so who are you going to have as best man? Let's get serious. Like, let, let's start planning this thing. And I sort of, my mind went blank and I just thought, oh, it must be, the, the Pinot Grigio, the pint of lager or whatever, like assortment of drinks I'd downed and couldn't think of anyone. So I went home, got got some paper out and a pen and went, right, well, who would my best man be? It took me a long time to get to 10 names and I looked down the list and I thought, well, half these people I work with, they'd find it a bit odd if I text them and said, hey, here's a pitch, want to be my best man. And the other half, I was like, wow, I haven't seen... Dom, for example, for two years. And I looked down the list, I was like, wow, I don't see these people anymore. And I just thought, oh, where have all my friends gone? And like most problems in your life, when it happens, you're like, oh God, how embarrassing, it's just me. So I Googled getting married, no best man. And there's millions of results. A lot of them on wedding website forums, stricken grooms, kind of going, I don't, I'm getting married in three weeks, completely lost, what do you do? And it turns out, Loads of men, if not a best man problem, have a friendship problem. So I thought, well, what goes so wrong for men? What has happened to my social life? And what can I do about it? Because I, I do need <laughs> a best man. So I set off on a journey to kind of look into that. And the book came out of that. It wasn't some kind of cheap pitch to a publisher. It was genuinely me going, whoa, okay, this is a thing. Let's Let's solve it. Wow. So, Max before Billy No Mates and Max post Billy No Mates. Who, who's Max now? Is that's a I think it's a great question because 
for me, this is about a lot more than friendship. Friendship for me was a door for me to start looking at conversations I'd probably opted out of around masculinity or how I was in relationships with men, especially, but women as well, how I organized my life, what I prioritized, what my values were, where those values had come from. And it suddenly became really tangible about the things I'd learned, like accidentally and absorbed from the world. And so who's Max now? I think he's someone, and I just realized I'm talking about myself in the third person now, which is like, like wanker alert. <laughs> Who is Max now? He mused. Um, I now am much more confident I've chosen who I am. And I'm aware that when I'm not doing certain things, I've opted into trade-offs and I'm taking responsibility for that. Whereas before, I think one reason my social life had kind of withered on the vine was really I was investing in loads of other things and not being aware that that was having down-the-line down consequences for me. And you described in the book that that is, in a sort of almost embarrassed way, that that was your inner work. Yeah. Is that what you described? Is that, was that your journey writing this book? Was it about your inner work that you were doing? And do you feel that there was a sort of healing process in writing the book? Yeah, there was a healing process. And I think that's a, a work in progress, another cliche. <laughs> inner work, tick. Healing process, tick. Work in progress, tick. Um, but yeah, I had to confront a series of things. And I did so, and I think that's why a lot of men have connected and related to the book, is I came in a bit of a cynic. So the first thing I did when I realized I didn't have any close male friends and my social life wasn't in great shape at all and was kind of declining, was I, I sought out psychologists, I sought out therapists, um, and basically said, so what goes wrong? And when they would talk, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I do that. That's a bit weird. That doesn't seem very healthy, actually. But I had to kind of confront and own up to it. And also... A lot of what I was trying to do is go back to friends that I'd maybe let down or I'd not shown up in a way that we were ever going to have much closeness in that friendship and be a bit different. And then you, you, you kind of, you, you learn by doing, you kind of learn little tips and you, then you apply it. But then also I learned so much about how society is built that makes relationships difficult and we might come onto that later and about what is kind of in the software and the hardware of blokes that we've evolved to have, which is relevant too. So it kind of made me think about like what what is what does it mean to be a man and what causes that? Where does it come from? And the answer is a few different areas, but it was about confronting confronting the fact that a lot of the choices I've made were not healthy. Yeah. So in that, and uh, obviously there's a there's a lot of ingredients. Uh, in that, what is the 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 perhaps the most surprising thing that you found out about loneliness, friendship on the journey? What was like the you know apart from the sex dolls? Yeah, sex dolls. Tip, <laughs> different list. <laughs> Christmas list. No, um, <laughs> what was the most surprising thing? The most surprising thing I learned. 
I mean, and there's a few things. I mean, here's one for starters. Um, everyone's social world peaks in their late teens, early 20s. If you look at all the data around social networks from all sorts of very smart academics, it will show you that. And it shrinks from that point on. Uh, but it, the shrinkage happens a lot worse for men than it does for women. And blokes tend to have bigger social groups than women in their 20s. We get into our 40s, it's flipped on its head. Um, and that get, gets more and more serious as you get older. So I found that interesting that men and women are in the same world, yet our social life is getting gets worse and worse as we get older. Women's get slightly worse, but they're much better at maintaining relationships. That surprised me. Um, I was also surprised to read about how that compounds. So if you look at the pinch points of life, and I think this is where the friendship conversation is really important. It's quite easy to ignore the fact that maybe you don't have that many friends when life is going quite well or when you're busy um, or when you don't have to think about it. So I realized I didn't have any friends when I had to literally think about best man or when I had to think about who's going to show up at a wedding, like do an audit of your social life. But that kind of confrontation also happens at pinch points. So it might be you get divorced and you go, oh, my wife's taken the whole social group with her or all my friends were actually her friends. Okay. Or you get bereaved, similar sort of thing. You retire is a big pinch point for blokes. But this stuff compounds if you don't look after it when you are younger, when you are maybe, life is okay. So you got you got can't leave it too late. And kind of a stat that really surprised me that sums this up, I think, in quite a dramatic way, is if you look at public health funerals. So public health funerals are funerals where there is nobody to execute your estate, nobody to organize your funeral, nobody to show up. Sad, right? But there's about 4,000 of these a year in the UK. And if you look at the... I, I looked up the stats about what the sex difference here is, and three times as many men have these public health funerals than women because they're much more isolated. So most of us are not at that sort of extreme, but it does compound if you don't confront it and I think it's something to really take seriously. So, one of the quotes that I love, I don't love it, but it actually creates a, a real picture for mm. people who may not quite understand when people have mental health issues, is that men can actually sit and be not necessarily alone, but they can feel really lonely. And I think that that's something that really lands for men when I'm speaking to them. And does that land for you in terms of your research that you've done and the questions that you've asked? Yeah, absolutely. So firstly, what is loneliness? So loneliness is a subjective feeling. It's not an objective fact. So it's not the same as spending time alone. So a lot of people quite like spending time alone. Similarly, you can be around other people and feel lonely. I think that is true for a lot of men. So the, the, one of the big differences between men and women with friends is that men will have a lot of mates often, football mates, work mates, mates from the pub. We don't have any intimate friends. And so in terms of how you might measure this, Movember, the mental health charities, we're touching on mental health here, did this survey. They said, how many close friends do you have? One in three men couldn't think of anyone. And they asked the group men in this survey, how many people could you talk to about a serious money problem, health problem, 
relationship problems, something, you know, with some heft, half of the men they spoke to said, actually, I can't think of anyone I could talk to about that. So that is loneliness. That is, you could be in the pub, but going, Gary, Steve, Paul, Tom, they don't know anything about me. And actually, I don't really know anything about them. And sometimes it's not as dramatic as that. It can be even something as simple as, do these people even like me? Like, I realise... Uh, I've been mates with... Um, I, won't, I won't name him, but I've been mates with a guy from school for about 20 years. And when I wrote my list, I was like, oh, this guy's one of my best mates. I was like, does, does he like me? Like, he's never said he likes me. Sometimes when we hang out, it's quite hard to work that out because of the way men relate to each other. He certainly isn't, you know, on my case organising stuff all the time. And I'm not doing that to him. He probably has no idea I like him. And I think that's also part of the loneliness is going, my friendships don't feel like friendships. So here's another quote from someone I spoke to, which I kind of gets at this. This person said, I've never felt like my best friend's best friend, right? I've never felt like my best friend's best friend, which I think is interesting. And so we may be getting to how sometimes blokes think about their friendships, and there's no, this is not all bad. So I'm not saying, because I think male friendships are quite unique often and there's, they're not, their uniqueness does not necessarily make them bad in themselves, but in excess they can be like that. And I think men often think of friendship as like the fourth emergency service. So you speak to blokes and they'll be like, oh yeah, well, my, my, my best mate's uh, yeah, uh, Gareth. And uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, the shit is the fan. He'll be here in an instant. It, four in the morning, he'll be at my door. What do you need? Um, but then you say, well, when is the last time you saw Gareth? Like, well, we don't really speak. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, very, not you know, it's very, really true. Like, I've got friends from school who I, in my head, are my friends. But yeah, when was the last time I spoke to them? A year mm. ago? Maybe even more so. Yeah, and and sometimes that's okay because life comes sometimes gets in the way and actually some research I looked at from a guy called Robin Dunbar who we might touch on again later his research is very clear there is a direct relationship between time and friendships it's a lose it use it or lose it situation so and it's it's very clear that in different he talks about different layers of friendships you've got your innermost layer of about five people then another ten sort of people you hang out with the most and they kind of go out in multiples of three you can visualize that i think we can kind of relate to that but also it's shown in the in 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 the research and the data if you don't spend a certain amount of time with different and it's different for each layer they just move up the layers so people in your five i think you've got to speak to them or see them once a week if you don't do that for long enough they go up to your next layer etc etc and the ones in the outer layers require less time so if you're not showing up, you're not spending time, it's just a fact, you will drift in closeness. Now, something that does resist that is friendships that maybe you spent a lot of time with when you were younger, with intense period of time. They seem to be more resilient in the research. And I think anecdotally, we can all think of someone that we haven't seen for ages, but if we saw them tomorrow, we'd pick it up and it'd be great. So that's fine. But I think we can't use that as, a, as an opt-out of confronting the fact that really we don't see our friends enough. And, and the friends we do see, sometimes they don't feel like friendships. Sure. 
That just reminds me of this quote by Jordan Peterson. He says, the crisis of male loneliness. I can't do the accent, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I want to, but I can't. The crisis of male loneliness is one aspect of the broader struggle of men in modern society. It's incumbent on each man to seek out and forge meaningful relationships. I, what exactly what you're just saying, talking about personal responsibility, actually creating the actual conditions to actually go out, don't let it fall to you, don't let it, the, the yeah. friendships fall, like they did when we were kids, right? When we were teenagers. And I saw something in the book that you wrote about as well, around sport. And mm. for me, being the only thing I really was good at at school <laughs> was sport. So leaving school for me was actually traumatic with a small t. You know, it wasn't yeah. like, a, a you know, something that someone's going to go to prison for, but it was you know, something actually I ended up writing in The Independent about was actually the trauma that I only realised about 10 years later in, uh, in actually a counselling session, that me leaving that team environment was leaving the person that I was. And suddenly I was, uh, you know, that team guy, always looking out for one another, part of this brotherhood and suddenly I was on my own and it was just so lonely and I think that that's yeah. where schools didn't actually create the conditions to actually create um, you know a strong amount of resilience for young men to go out into the world yeah I mean there's a lot in that a lot in that what you just said there a lot we could sort of ex expand on I, I suppose something that when you were saying that I was thinking about a few things I think a lot of people, kind of a cliche of sportsmen, that they retire and they'll go, you go, oh, do you miss like, you know, being on telly every week and the fast cars and the big salary and, you know, playing in front of the crowds. I must have, you know, must really miss that. I say, do you know what, what I miss is the dressing room. And actually, I think I really relate. Like, I used to do a lot of sport when I was younger. And that's what I really miss. I miss the kind of, I wasn't on the dressing room, it was probably a bit grand for what, 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 what sort of level I was playing at. But I miss that group of guys. And actually, as you get older, it's, it's harder to get that. And one of the big differences between male and female friendships, and this is research from that guy, Robin Dunbar, is that, is that male friendships tend to happen, in the male social style, we tend to prefer relationships in groups. We tend to prefer socializing side by side, sharing activities such as sport, doesn't have to be sport. And he, he, he says the model of friendships for men is very much the club. It's almost the thing in between us that we have in common. And that's what we kind of, what we, what we like. Now, the flip side of that is we don't have enough of those more personal relationships. That, that's an issue. But we have less of these spaces as we get older. And we definitely have left these, less of these spaces because they're disappearing from society full stop. So where would you find these spaces? If it was the 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s, we'd have what sociologists call third spaces, so not work, not home, places like churches or um, social clubs, uh, parks. We'd spend a lot more time in these spaces. There were a lot more of them. They're a lot more easy to access. They're not there anymore. So you talk about organized sport. It used to just happen for us, be given to, given to us on a plate. Now it feels like, bloody hell, hard work, isn't it? It's hard work. You've got to put a shift in. And I think I was not putting that shift in. and I wasn't in the habit of doing it. I've had to really learn how to do that. And I think for a lot of guys, sometimes it's a skills thing around intimacy, but sometimes it's a thing of like, oh, what do I actually do? 
like <laughs> what are you meant to do and also oh yeah i do have to invest this it's like so i think when you get a bit older friendships are a management problem <laughs> like that sounds really kind of cynical but it's like it's got to be one of the things that you're kind of we've got my marriage there maybe i've got my job obviously i'm gonna make sure i kind of say in vague shape i'm a dad possibly but your friendships have to be on that lazy susan of life and you have to kind of invest in them at different points in a deliberate way yeah that is awesomely put because it's something that wasn't actually taught it's not something that was you know you're made aware of it's just something that happens it's like you know that sort of cliche of like go to london get the job find the girl yeah. have the first baby move out lose all your friends <laughs> well that wasn't actually in the script you know yeah. but that's how especially if you had covid as as seems to have really come to the fore it's just like well we were we, we, you know, just couldn't even get in the car and go and see people. So all of those relationships, all those friendships, I mean, it really, you know, started to spin things around a little, little bit in the world and how we, how we actually do things and brought these kind of questions really to the fore. Yeah. Something that just is a bit interwined into that, that I'm just considering and I consider in sort of my wider life as well is, yeah. and what's happening in the world. And we're talking about the, the mental health of of men in general mm. is, and this is pretty un you know un PC, but is that the general way in which women have come into the men's traditional role in terms of you know as we've come out of the seventeenth and eighteenth century into a more working mum um, or a working woman role, and something just has come into my awareness. I wanted to sort of just talk to you about is do you think that men see a more relatable woman within their relationships and as such have much more of an intense in-depth relationship with their significant other and therefore aren't making an effort with their pals that they traditionally would have done yes and there's been loads of good books written about this is that a marriage has as in the last, even the last 50 years, let alone the last 100 years, has transformed into what it's like. We kind of put all a lot of our emotional eggs in that basket. We want our partner to be our best friend, our, you know, sexual partner, the mother or father to our children, someone we kind of like watching box sets with, like kind of everything. There's an awful lot on that, a lot of pressure on there. And actually, it's a kind of a, almost a cliche now. You go to weddings and people stand up and they're like, I'm marrying my best friend. Everyone goes, aw. But actually, like, historically, that would be insane. Right. Like, if you, if, you, if, you, if you were a man in the 19th century and you said, my wife's my best friend, people would be like, are you all right, mate? <laughs> <laughs> right? Your wife's a div. Right? But, but that kind of shows, right, <laughs> that I'm not saying the attitude was right, but that was one reason. Male friendships now... Friendship is now gendered as female. We go like, oh, who's who, who best at being friends? Well, women put way more effort in. They're a lot closer friendships. They're like the model. For most of history, the model have been men. And that's for a couple of reasons. I mean, one of them was that people just didn't think women were worth being friends with. And that's sexism. And, you know, that's changed, thankfully. Um, there's also issues around homosexuality was not... was 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 going on but was not considered a kind of a, an identity or a category until the end of the 19th century really and so suddenly closeness between men was then 
seen in a slightly different sense. So there's all sorts of these historical changes that have maybe taken a focus away from male friendships. I think marriages, it's not just marriages, also, if you look at the data around how we spend our time, we spend a lot more time with our spouse than we used to. We spend a lot more time parenting. And this is kind of, I know men put a lot of focus on being better dads now, and that's definitely happening, but it's also taking a lot more time. So in terms of the slice of, (laughs) (laughs) in terms of like the slice of literal your day you've got for friendships, there's a lot of pressure on that slice, especially as a lot of people are working longer hours. The work they are doing is more intense, so they're more exhausted in that time. Spending a lot of time staring at our devices, maybe. Um, So there's less room for friendship, and that is definitely a problem. So interesting. So it's kind of weaves into my next question. Do you think loneliness could, when taking all of that into account, do you think loneliness actually could be at the core and what is joked about, but perhaps isn't so funny, is at the core of the midlife crisis? Yeah. But I think it's also, it, it definitely is, because I think it's one of the things you confront in a midlife crisis and you go, what, what? What have I got? What haven't I got? How do I imagine my life would be? How am I doing to that? Do I even know who I am? I think that's maybe that the question that makes people feel lonely is people don't know who I am, but I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want because from this is what I mean by how the friendship question is a door into a bigger conversation. It's like, do you know, do you know who you are so you can share that with other people? So that's kind of part of what intimacy is. It's me connecting to you, listening to you, seeing you, but you also need me to reciprocate. But if I don't really know what I'm sharing or I'm vague about that so I distract from it and I'm obfuscate, that's a problem. But it's also about, I think, another tick in the cliche box, self-care. I saw friendships as an indulgence. They were a distraction from other things. I should be out making more money, if I've got any spare time, I should be becoming better at writing so I can push my career on. If I'm not doing that, I should be out meeting people that can push me on. I just kind of pushed relationships way out to the side. So, but having to spend more time on to look after myself and having relationships does look after me. But at the same time, that self-care thing is, have you actually, can you be still and just go, who am I? What do I want? Have I got a bit of time for me? It's all part of the same conversation. Because if you're not, got any time to have friends, it's probably because you're not looking after yourself more generally. And I think that connects to that midlife question. So yeah, just yeah, picking up on that point about self-care, when we're in our men's circles or whether I'm talking to somebody, it we can talk about all sorts of things, nature, personal uh, fitness, spirituality, mental health, significant relationships, community. But what it always comes down to is ultimately how are you treating yourself? How are you talking to yourself? How are we actually being with ourselves? As opposed to actually, you know, what are we doing the whole time? How are we being with ourselves at any given moment? People talk about mental health and the mental health crisis. What does that actually mean? Because that is creating our actual reality. Our thoughts are creating our reality, right? And so if our thoughts are going along the lines of, I'm actually worthless, or I'm feeling unworthy, or I just feel a bit empty, I've got nothing actually to give. There's, I think there's a subconscious level there around friendships. I will actually have to call this guy, what have I actually got to give? And that may sound extreme, but even on a very small, even on a very 
or cellular level, that vibration that is given off to another guy about the, it's just like, oh, he's, he's actually not that fun anymore. And then that can compound because it gets more lonely and more lonely and more lonely. Yeah. I think it's also, if you don't know different parts of yourself and like different parts of yourself, there's parts of yourself you won't share with other people. So let me sh- tell you about how that manifests for me to kind of ma- hopefully make it kind of accessible is I was very good at making jokes and being like the, pew, 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 you know, like gag, put down, witty anecdote, um, does something funny with a pint glass, right? <laughs> okay, good fun. But... Sorry, I went smoked ash just for banter. Did you? <laughs> okay. That's like very meta-level smoking. You're actually smoking the... Um, like the ex- it's a circular economy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And how did that how did, how did that end up? In very dead in my lungs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stopped the circle, dead yeah. in its tracks. But but I was comfortable doing that because I was like, I was I knew I was good at that. I knew people like that part of me. And I could also talk about things often in quite, I suppose, an intellectual way. It was quite again a bit of a comfort zone. And I could do that. But I didn't really think that I had anything else about me was interesting. Certainly my feelings were interesting or my experiences were interesting. So I would never show that. And the trouble is, is by not showing that, other people didn't have permission to show that parts of themselves. And so we never quite get to that point where we do know each other and there is that, that sense of intimacy. I think there's a point also here about what we reflect back to other people. So there's this Aristotle, who obviously ancient Greek philosopher, I'm not going to get too pretentious here, don't panic, but he's kind of like the original dude. It is the Privileged Man podcast. Okay, right, okay. (laughs) Perhaps he's in your family. (laughs) Not quite. Missed out on that line. (laughs) But Aristotle, ancient Greek philosopher, it's kind of like the original dude writing about friendship. Pretty much everything that gets written now, consciously or unknowingly, is sort of based on his stuff. And he's got this idea of what friendship friends do for us is they're like a mirror. So they reflect back to us, help us know who we are. But I don't think, I don't think that analogy is quite right because it's not really, I don't just reflect back exactly you. I reflect back things that I'm capable of reflecting back to you or that I want to reinforce in you. So you get a warped view of yourself. So if you're in a group of guys and everyone is in that sort of banter pose, and then you share something about yourself which isn't in that kind of area, a slither of your personality that isn't part of that game, they're not, if they don't honour that or reflect it back and go like, oh yeah, that's, um, that's, a, that's an interesting, interesting story, or however you might do that in, in, in the moment, you don't see that part of yourself, you don't own it, you don't appreciate it. So I think that's how we be- can become alienated from ourselves is just who we hang out with, you know? And this, I, th- I think sometimes it's maybe a way of kind of, again, making this tangible. Do you ever find like when you, if you're working in an office job and you think your colleagues are a bit boring, you find yourself getting more and more boring. It's because they're only reflecting back the most boring parts of you. And then you go and hang out with people who are more fun and you're like, oh, <laughs> I do have a personality. It was always there, but it's just they weren't being able to show you it. So I think that's an, an important thing. And something, again, I had to start being 
more deliberate with, which was noticing and honoring other parts of people and not just the ones I felt comfortable dealing with. So I could, the banter stuff I'm comfortable with, but if someone said, I think my wife's going to leave me, can I then go, well, thank you for telling me that. Um, Tell me about it. Can I sit in it? Before I'd be probably quite uncomfortable, but now I'm more comfortable. And then obviously he'll tell me, we'll roll like a doobie full of ash, obviously. And Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, smoke it. But that comes well, to the last. Well, you know, what's a healing journey without smoking some ash? <laughs> <laughs> there you are. That's your, that's your kind of your Instagram quote there. That can be uh, part of your social. Very nice. So yeah, just getting serious for, for a moment about the, the banter side of things. In one acronym around LADS is loneliness anxiety, depression, suicide. And that comes up to the, the another quote that I heard the other day, which was around uh, loneliness being upstream from suicide. And I think that this is the, the part that even people now listening to this might start wincing and going, well, okay, this was quite a fun podcast talking about loneliness until you actually said that S word. But the point is, and what I really want to to bring to the awareness is that loneliness, and I'm sure that you've been asked about this a lot, is is the starting gun to more serious mental health issues. And that anyone who's listening to this now and is beginning to feel like, ah, you know what? I am quite lonely. Shit, I need to do something about it. You know, what would you, what would be your sort of Dr. Max, so to speak, what would be your your prevention rather than cure? There is definitely, in both directions, a link between depression and loneliness, and depression can lead to, to suicide. And lonely people um, more like to be depressed, more like to be anxious, and v- vice versa. If, if you're feeling depressed or anxious, you may withdraw and become lonely. So there's definitely a link there. In terms of and another interesting thing on that, by the way, is that a guy called John Cassiopo, who passed away now, social neuroscientist, but kind of the absolute don of loneliness research. This is one of the kind of tragic things about lonely people is you start getting what they call hypervigilant, which means you get, the more lonely you get, the worse you get at reading social cues. So you'd meet someone who would be, to a third-party observer, being warm and friendly and you'd be thinking, oh, they think I'm boring, or they hate me, oh, God, they, they don't want to hang out with me, or this is so awkward. And so you just think, I won't do it. So it compounds and gets worse and worse. So what can you do about it? I mean, <laughs> prevention and, 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 and cure, I suppose, if you're already lonely, we're in the cure phase already. Um, I'm happy to talk about um, things that are practical you can do if you feel at the moment you're either I am lonely or yeah do you know I do need to put a bit more attention into my friendships Uh, would that be helpful to talk about some things yeah um I mean there's loads of practical things and they can start really small so the first one I always say and this is going to sound like really mundane like you're doing a podcast with this guy um (laughs) is is show up actually show up so when you get a text saying do you want to come to my birthday lunch or once your mate says we're having a quick pint after work tonight or I'm having a barbecue next weekend would you and your your missus like to come it's so easy to flake and go oh it's a bit far away in it or 
a bit tired or oh, we were going to watch the last episode of Succession and not go. But friendship it has a rhythm. And if you get out the rhythm, it's very hard to get back into it because it feels a bigger deal and also you're less likely to get invited to stuff. I definitely had fallen out of that. Show up. It's the first one. Second thing is go first. So fr- friendship is really contingent on leadership. People really want to socialize, especially blokes. Like blokes are de- like, go, I want to do something. And their male friends obviously do nothing. So, so they, if you organize something, they're like, oh, brilliant, yeah. But be the one who sends the text, who organizes that meeting. So this is a the little anecdote I always share on this point um, because people seem to connect to it. And I've got another guy called Steve. He's got loads of friends. And so I said to him, why have you got so many friends? I like, was your secret? He says, well, people call me the Sherpa, right? Because I organize everything. But if I didn't organize everything, we would never see each other. So that is a real simple way to think of it. Be the Sherpa. Where in your life could you be the one who show, shows a bit of leadership? And sometimes people don't reciprocate and they're a bit of a pain in the ass and people can be crap. But, you know, you've got to, got to keep going when, it, when that happens. But it, that, again, it's quite a simple tip. Made, it, made a big difference. Here's one that maybe connects to something we said earlier about the sort of spaces where friendships happen. So we like to think that when you're friends with someone, especially close friends, it's like this miracle of sinking souls. God, we love all the same things, got the same sense of humor. Um, that we, we just kind of, we just gel. There's a bit of truth in that. But generally, we make friends with people who are a bit like us, who we see quite often. So, so psychologists call this pro- propinquity, which is a social and psychological um, proximity to other people. So you want to be in spaces where you fa- fairly often bump into the same people. So if you're struggling with friendships, where can you seek out those spaces? So I would say things like, what are you into? What do you enjoy? Uh, what do you want to learn? Um, what are you interested in? Where are people gathering to talk about that stuff, learn about that stuff, do that stuff? It could be different depending on who you are. So I, something that's worked for me, and you can't tell from my body, annoyingly, but I joined this CrossFit gym. From that, I'm in a splinter WhatsApp group of blokes in my area. About once a month we meet up. That's nice. A nice kind of part of the, the thing. <laughs> well, the gym is called Motion, and so the WhatsApp is called Slow Motion. So it's not it's not disgusting because <laughs> some of them can be gross. Um, <laughs> and I was, I've just got to say, you know, for all the people who are not watching this on video, you can definitely see it. Definitely bolt, mate. Oh yeah, if you if you're not watching this on video, I've got you could you could kind of cut your cut your face and my biceps. Um, I'm at least six six, probably eighteen stone. Not no fat on me whatsoever gorgeous head to toe um but whatever it is for you like i know someone who loves playing military board games meets up with his mates to do military board game club every few weeks poker school whatever it is but those repeated interactions is really important and then maybe a final tip on this in a practical sense is that often you find people will go occasionally reach out to their mate and go oh we haven't seen each other for ages they have a few pints like god so good to catch up. We've got to do that. We've got to do this more often. I'll text you. I'll text you. Things get busy. No text. Six months pass. You have that other drink. And every time you meet, it's just a catch up about all the download, about all the stuff you've missed. And it's fine. It's not really kind of an active friendship. So what I would try and do is make your friendships busy proof. 
And this is about recurring rituals. So things you can get in the diary that when the proverbial hits the fan, you know that's there. So I do fortnightly five-a-side football. And afterwards, we might go and have a couple of drinks in the pub or we might do the, the quiz. Um, whatever that kind of recurring ritual can be for you, it gets you out of jail when your job gets really busy and you haven't been got around to texting lots of people. But if you have the, one or two of these recurring things or a recurring thing, a club you go to once a week or every couple of weeks, and you're being the Sherpa, sending some texts and meeting up with people, that's, that's the, quite a lot of the way there. Because summarise it by saying, be organised. What comes into my head is that by planning, you can be more present. I, I think there's a massive myth in the in the spiritual world that we've got to go with the flow. It's a virtual, very feminine energy to let it flow. As men, if we let it flow, nothing really actually gets done. It, we, we get caught in this actually... Um, vortex of awareness and it can actually become very heavy I always encourage the men in our groups to actually take action and that's why we have accountability partners so we have like a buddy team to be like well I heard you say that in the meeting so you've got to go off and do that for me what I'm hearing is that to be able to be in friendship you've actually got to go and do the planning the best way to have a friend is to be a friend uh, someone very smart said that annoyingly not me because it's quite piffy but yeah, be organized. Don't rely on spontaneity. And that's why I said earlier, I think friendship, especially when you get beyond your 20s, is a management problem. It's one of those things that you have to kind of invest in in a deliberate way. Don't, it's not going to happen organically. And that doesn't mean it's bad. It shouldn't, it's a bit like one of those things that we think if it's not spontaneous and it's not valuable, it is, and you need to, need to do it. Talking about accountability partners, I'll tell you the perfect accountability partner. Write a book called Billy No Mates. So every time you don't do it, someone will text you and go, oh, I thought you are the expert on friendship. You've not replied. Oh, okay. <laughs> I get it. We'll create a community called The Privileged Man, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where we empower men and make sure that they're creating legacies they can be proud of as, you know, husbands, fathers, and leaders. Mm. So if I'm not doing that on a daily basis, is it be like, uh, Pete? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's... um. Which is an interesting one, which brings me round to a few more things on accountability, which are just coming into my head. And by the way, thank you for that. That was super, super useful. So I love this quote by Eckhart Tolle, who's actually my gateway into personal development, um, probably along with 99.9% .9 of other people and reading The Power of Now. <laughs> Great book, if you haven't read it. But he said, our society's relentless focus on doing often leaves no room for being. This can contribute to feelings of loneliness. And what this really says to me is that, and a lot of the men that I speak to, is that they're one of probably the main ways in which they deal with loneliness, mental health issues, is to focus on doing. And in doing so, they're missing out or feel that they're missing out on chunks of their lives but you say to them well why don't you change careers I've got x y and z going on and by the way my work is my community what do you think the upsides and the downsides to that are so, so uh, definitely I see myself and what you say, or I used to, how I used to be was definitely like that. Men generally will 
deal with emotional problems or mental health challenges by acting out or with addictions. Can be booze, can be drugs. Work is a form of addiction. I can certainly relate to the idea of if I was having a personal problem thinking I could spend this hour thinking about that or talking to this person or dealing with it or I could just go and send a load of emails and that will kind of keep my mind busy and I'll feel like I've done something and I can put it off. That's definitely, I definitely think a lot of people will relate to that. Um, it's something about identity. Men have achievement and productivity as, a, as perhaps an unhealthy proportion of their identity. So there have been studies in this. So I actually look in the first chapter of the book um, thinking about why have I not invested in my friendships? And it's not, frankly because other things are more important to me. And in hindsight, I, I, I invested badly my time and my energy. Um, and it's no, no problem doing that, by the way, as long as you're conscious you're doing it. You might decide, do you know what? If you say you're going for an Olympic gold medal, four years, I'm focused, I've got nothing else. And you're, that's your choice, but you're aware there's a trade-off. That's fine. I think when we don't accept there are trade-offs. But anyway, in that first chapter, the psychological studies about self-construals. So it's when you go up to, to uh, psychologists, go to people and say, can you describe yourself to me? Or can you bring in some objects or some photos that kind of sum up who you are? So they get men and women to do this. Generally, women will have what's known as an interdependent self-construal, which will mean they'll go, well, I'm uh, a mum and a wife uh, and uh, an, an aunt. And, uh, oh, I, I work for uh, Shell. I like running. I do, do 5Ks in uh, four minutes, whatever it is. I'm not a runner. But you see what I mean? It's like a big mix. and pe- Just a weight guy. Yeah, just, <laughs> just a weight guy. But, but, but when they explain themselves, it's in relation to others. Men will have what's known as an independent. So they'll go, well, uh, I'm, um, I'm managing director of Shell. And uh, yeah, I'm big, very keen on my CrossFit. I'm actually competing in the CrossFit Games in, in Oslo later. Uh, oh yeah, I am a dad, uh, PS. But, but you know, they'll get to that last right? And I think that kind of is a really good embodiment of maybe how we see ourselves and therefore what we put out into the world, right? If your identity is that that's your what's important to you and that's who you are, how you invest your time and energy will emanate out of that. Now, again, it's not me telling people how to live their lives. I, there's, there's not a perfect number of friends to have. Different people want different numbers and that's absolutely fine. But as long as we're making these choices, but to kind of connect to your said, like my communities at work, can that be the case? Yes. There are lots of examples through history of some of the most famous friendship groups in the world have revolved around work. Think about the Bloomsbury group, kind of a literary circle, or the young British artists like Damien Hirst, or Gordon Ramsay, Marco Pierre White, Marcus Waring, all coming together through those kitchens and being like, this like the work was what energized the friendships that can happen is your work like that or is your work in an office where you don't really share activities with your colleagues but you're sending each other emails and you're seeing each other across boardroom tables really is the work inspiring the intimacy is what what is is it adding meaning to your friendship often not i think to go back to Aristotle, Aristotle says the three categories of friendship. One are like friends that are useful to one another. So it's someone you hang out with because you play tennis together or you are colleagues. 
there are friends that you hang out with because it's pleasurable. You know, you enjoy each other's company. And then the third category, which transcends both these things, you hang out even though sometimes it's not pleasurable or you're not useful to one another. Our best friends tend to be in that category. I'd ask you how many of your work colleagues transcend that utility thing. As kind of an example, imagine bumping into them on a Saturday at Tesco's. What would you have to talk about? If you weren't allowed to talk about work, would they want to see you? Would you want to see them? If you took six months off work, they're coming around your house. Sometimes the answer is yes. A lot of the time it's not. There's a real barriers to intimacy at work for men because it's a competitive atmosphere. And there are certain rules of the road, probably sensibly, around the amount of time you've got to spend together and run vulnerability and things. And, and that, frankly, that utility part gets in the way. So it can be true, but are you being honest with yourself that it is, that community is full of friends and not colleagues? Right. And is that actually going to manifest in this problem that you talked about in terms of retirement? Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, yes, yeah, to kind of go back to that, men, again, generalization, tend not to own their social networks. By own, I mean control it. They're like the central hub of the network. Their social network is the space they are in or the person they're going out with. And then when you come out of the network or come out of that relationship, because you haven't owned the relationships, they don't come with you. And at work, that often happens. And so that's why retirement is 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 tricky for a lot of guys. Really interesting. When men are in their 40s, we are very indulged within perhaps our relationships, perhaps in our family. And perhaps that takes priority when we're talking about what jobs and what community that we are sitting in. And that, you know what, at that point, work community does. It just is. It's okay. It's not, it's not challenging me too much. It's just good enough. But what I want people to think about is what is it actually setting you up for later in life? Are you going to be surrounded by people who love you, friends who are really into you, or are you going to leave the job in your late 50s, maybe into your mid-60s with a really decent pension and a nice package, but be flung into a golf course that, where you know no one, and actually no one's ringing up anymore because actually the only calls you used to get were about work. And this is what I mean about this point about purpose and I see it a lot and I'm sure you're in your research you've seen it it's like men between sort of 60 and by the time they die just seem to get grumpier and grumpier and grumpier and and I, I wonder what we're doing in our 30s 40s and 50s what we can be doing I think we've just been discussing a lot of it to avoid dying a rather grumpy and angry man rather than one that's lived a really purposeful life one who's had really rich friendships um, <laughs> how do you not become a grumpy man? That's your next book. That's my next book, How Not to Be a Grumpy Bastard. Um, maybe this gets at it. I think it kind of connects to everything we've talked about in the podcast, which is don't let the juice be kind of sucked out of you. The kind of, if you imagine those old tellies, where you have the control and you can turn the color up and down, you know, and the kind of the, the contrast and the, you know, you can, your life slowly kind of has the color and the contrast kind of toned down on it. And then you get 
older and you resent it and you maybe have lost yourself and you don't have so much energy to kind of go after it. I think you just got to make sure a bit earlier that you keep the juice. And I think this is a a big key to keeping friends. Generally, friends will go with us if we're on a journey somewhere else that's interesting and that energizes us. It kind of almost, you don't need to be too conscious about it. Um, Paradoxically, having said people need to be very deliberate, I think also when you actually pursue something that's meaningful to you and interesting to you and gets you excited, people come along with you. I think that's connected also to how you feel when you're a bit older. Like, do you, do you that part of you still alive? Is it still, is your heart still pumping? Is your heart still pumping and being alive? That's pretty important. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a biologist. But yeah, I love it. Thank you so much, Max. I think um, that probably brings us nicely to a conclusion. I Over to you on how people can hear more about Billy Nomates and what you do and and Max Dickens' The Future. Yeah, so Billy Nomates, How I Realise Men Have a Friendship Problem is out now, hardback, paperback, ebook, audiobook. So if you liked my dulcet tones, I read the audiobook. And I'm a maxdickens.com, so I've got various bits of writing about this sort of thing on there. But it's a it's a fun book. We've been practical today. We've talked about a lot of the issues, but there's loads of hopefully what you'll find funny stories in there and try and make this stuff as accessible and as enjoyable as possible. And if you enjoy the book, you get something out of it, say hello to me, Twitter, LinkedIn, and uh, always love hearing from readers. Awesome. Thank you so much, Max. I guess what I've taken out from today is to be the Sherpa. Be the Sherpa, exactly. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. So thank you for tuning into the Privileged Man podcast. If you feel a resonance with our message and are keen to join a globally connected community of men committed to nurturing and elevating their mental wealth, I invite you to explore further. Visit our website, theprivilegedman.com, where you'll find enriching testimonials of men who have become a part of this empowering movement. Remember the journey to becoming a privileged man, a truly privileged man, one with elevated mental wealth, starts with your next action step. And that step could be just a click away. Thank you again for your time, and I'm looking forward to having you with us in our next episode. Thank you.